I love the concept of the 167. Have any of you guys enjoyed this series so far this year? I know that, that for me, <clears throat> as we've kicked off this year, it's been really meaningful to think about it in that context, that there's 168 hours in every single week, and 167 of those are on you, okay? You're here for one hour, roughly, each week, and the rest of your faith journey is all on you, okay? Because those are the hours that are wrapped up in the time that you're not here. So those are decisions that you are making. It's choices that you get to take to exercise your faith throughout the week. I love that concept, and I'm so excited. And I'll tell you why. Growing up in church, um, from the time I was a small kid and being a part of, of church services several times every week as a kid, and then as I got older, being in ministry and, and leading services all throughout the week, I've been through a lot of church services. I've sat through a lot of sermon series, and, and things come and go. Different topics will come and go, and, and uh, sermons might resonate with you in different ways at different points in your life. But the 167 will always be consistent. Right now, wherever you're at in your life, whether you're just starting this, this youth journey here and you're, you're in, the, in your first year in Emerge, or whether you're a senior and this is it for you, or whether you've graduated and you're a leader in this room, no matter where you're at in this process, the 167 will continue throughout the remainder of your life. And so I love the concept of this series. I love getting to be a part of it. Pastor Jeremy told me I could <clears throat> talk on this topic. And so I thought tonight what I would do is just share with you a few things that have been on my heart as far as the 167 goes. And also just kind of let you know, how did I get to this point in my life? And what do I do in my time to make sure that my life counts for something outside of this hour that we all get to spend together? I don't, I don't live on a stage like this. I don't live with a guitar in my hands. I don't live singing songs to people. That's, that's really not the rest of my life. That's just a very small part of, of who I am and what I do. And so I want to share some of, of that stuff with you guys, who I am, what makes me tick, some of the things that, that I've gone through in my life, and um, how I stay on track. And so, <clears throat> since we're talking about me tonight, I want to start out with a confession, just a small little thing. i got to be honest with you guys. I want to let you in on a little bit of secret. Um, that is this. I hate, hate Hate is like not even a strong enough word. I hate, I despise reading. Anybody else hate reading? Good. There's like a couple honest people in the room that also hate reading. And what do you know? The majority are all guys just like me. I know, listen, I know that just confessing that makes me like inferior. I know that all of you that didn't raise your hand and you love to read, you're like the superior beings. I get that. I've sat through enough um, leadership talks and seminars and all that stuff. I've sat through enough schooling. I've been through middle school like some of you are in. I've been through high school. I've been through college. I've been through grad school. All of those things. And everybody assigns you books. They tell you to read. They tell you to do this. They tell you to do that. I hated it all. Every last bit of it. I hate reading. I just don't like it. When I was given the option as a kid to do anything or read, I would always choose anything, right? 
If my mom, was, if I was bored and I needed something to do, and she said, I don't know, you can read or go outside. It's, go outside. I'll do that. I'll go out and play. There you go. If she said, uh, you can watch TV or you can read, watch TV. That was my choice. Simple. No big deal. If I was really bored and I had nothing to do, and she says, I don't know, you can read or you can, I can find you something to do. You can do chores. I'd be like, that's fine. I'll work. I don't care. I just don't want to read. If she said, go and lie down in a dark room and experience slow and painful torture, I'd say, oh, you mean read before bed? Yeah. No, I don't want to do that. I don't like to read, period. I just don't like it. I never have. And I just have to confess that to you tonight. Because the thing is, all throughout my life, it's been a struggle to try to find things that I connect with. But I do remember the first time that I ever found something to read, and I finally enjoyed it. So I was pretty young still, thankfully, but I, I was really young, and, and we were still at that point where, like, the whole class got together, and we went down the hall to the library, and everybody kind of roamed around, and you'd look for books, and basically for me, it was just, like, wander around the room time, because I never had anything that I wanted to go in there for, but I, I randomly chose this book off the shelf, and we had time in class where we had to sit there and read, and so I'm flipping through with the same expectation as usual, but something different happened this time because as I'm reading along, and it's this really cheesy plot, I still remember the story. It was kind of like this adventure book, and um, it was kind of like a knockoff of an Indiana Jones type of story. And so this main character is, is basically in the middle of this journey, and he's headed down the road, and, and the, the plot is kind of beginning to build, and there's starting to be a little bit of tension. And um, just as you, you kind of get to like this, this point in the, in the story, where, the, again, the, the action is really starting to develop, all of a sudden the book says, if you'd like to turn to the right and go this direction, continue reading on. But if you'd like to choose the left, skip to page 47 and find out what happens. Has anybody ever read one of those books? Yeah, there, you, like, choose your own path in the book. And I was like, what? I get to pick where the book goes? I get to choose? Seriously, like some of you have never, you've never read a book like that? Oh, man, you are missing out. You are missing out. Those are really cool because then all throughout the book, as, as different points in the plot kept developing, you got to choose what happens. Looking back on it, it's like I understand now. I still didn't like to read. It wasn't a great story, but all of a sudden, I was in charge. I got to make the decision. I got to choose where the story went. And so I was instantly drawn into this book, and I connected for the first time. And now, listen, if I'm being totally honest with you, I am, I'm 40 years old. I've been in ministry for 20 years. And like I said, I've been through lots and lots of school. I still hate to read. It's not something that I enjoy doing. And if my second confession, if I'm allowed to make it tonight, it's everything, including the Bible. Seriously? Yes. I hate to read the Bible. I'm being totally honest with you tonight. 
because I don't like to read. It's not that I hate the Bible. It's not that I hate the stories in the Bible. I just don't like to read, period. And so thankfully, because of like technology and different things that, that eventually became available, I grew up before all that stuff, and I kind of tortured myself sitting week after week in, in, in church where everybody said, you got to read your Bible. you got to get in the Word. you got to get it in your, heart, in your head and make it get all the way down to your heart, and it's got to get a hold of you and change your life. And once you really love God, then you'll love His Word. And I just kept reading it over and over and not enjoying it, thinking something's wrong with me. I just don't like this book. Has anybody else ever felt a little bit that way? Good, only the pastor. Pastor Jeremy raised his hand. <laughs> okay, look, there's a couple honest people. And, and it's not that you have to hate the Bible. Listen, I promise you that's not the point of this message tonight. If you love it, great. If you love reading, great. That's all awesome. But I'm telling you, my story is I just don't like to read. But thankfully, the older I got, the more technology developed, I realized that there are other ways to take in the Word of God. And another redeeming thing in my life is that I really do love stories. I don't like to read them, but I love stories. I like to listen to them. I like to hear other people tell a good story. I like to watch movies. I like to listen to things that are good stories. I'm a sucker for a story, and I'm always drawn into that. And so the older I got and the more technology became available, I just began to totally soak in the Word of God in other ways. And I remember... Unfortunately, it wasn't until I was a young adult when I finally really fell in love with the Word of God because I could listen to it. And it's like the stories that I heard bits and pieces of as a kid all began to take life because I could take them in in larger chunks and begin to connect the dots of the stories. And I remember when I heard for the first time as an adult, I'd heard this as a kid, but when, as an adult, when I heard the whole story of Joshua, which like totally changed my life. Most of you guys, you know the story of Joshua generally. You can probably tell me the, 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 the kind of the, the high points of his story. And if you don't, let me just kind of summarize a little bit of it for you. And, and then we're going to camp out for a little while on the ending of that book. But basically the way it goes if you have any understanding of the Old Testament, God's people, his chosen people were the Israelites for a long time. After a really, really good story, they ended up as slaves in Egypt, and God used Moses to lead them out of there. Lots of stuff happens, but God performs these miracles, and um, miraculously, through all those miracles, God leads his people out of slavery in Egypt into the land that had been promised all throughout the Old Testament called the Promised Land. That's right, yes. So um, Joshua then takes over after Moses dies. And this is all kind of you know, a decent way through the Old Testament. So you make it after the Exodus, Moses dies, Joshua takes over, and <clears throat> it's like this really uh, high point in the Old Testament because the story goes basically in the whole book of Joshua, the Israelites are all like revved up because they've heard for generations and generation and generation that I'm going to lead you into the promised land, okay? So they wander around and wander around and all these things go wrong and they do wrong things all the time, but, but eventually God leads them into the promised land and Joshua kind of 
gets them all riled up and says, hey, look, we're going to go take this land now. Because obviously, since it was such great land, it wasn't just sitting there vacant. They couldn't just walk in and camp out and that was it. That'd be a really boring story. They had to go and take the land. The land is described as flowing with milk and honey, meaning it was like rich in life. There were lots of resources there. So Lots of people that had already settled and, and camped out there, they were not God's chosen people. So God's people, the Israelites, all throughout the book of Joshua, basically were going around killing people and taking their land. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's like this awesome story, like if you're on the Israelite side, not if you're on the other guy's side. But all throughout that, that book, it's amazing to look at the different ways that God would, would, would send them to a place, they'd wipe these people out, and then they would take their land. But if you know anything about the Old Testament, it's not quite that cut and dry because the Israelites couldn't ever fully commit, couldn't quite follow through with everything that God had asked them to do. That whole, like, 167 concept with them was definitely not fully in action. It was more like maybe like, I don't know, whatever half of that, 80-something and 80 was. Sometimes they'd go in and they'd do most of what God asked them to do, but not quite all of it. They weren't living each hour totally devoted to the Lord. And so what would happen, they would go in and they would like leave some people alive or they would take some of the resources for themselves and all throughout this, this book, which the, the book of Joshua takes place over the course of about 25 years, so, you know, a decent amount of time, um, his people, they began to spread out throughout this promised land, and um, they're, they're beginning to settle the different places, but as they leave resources and as they leave people alive, instead of, like, cleansing the land and taking this, this promised land off of themselves and, and being a pure and a holy people that are totally committed to God— they begin to just kind of like spread out, not only physically across the land, but also spread out their, their, their attention. So they weren't fully devoted to God because now they had acquired the gods of these folks and the gods of these folks and the wives of these guys and, and things like that. And so long, long time, 25 years goes by, and the people didn't look exactly the way the Lord had planned for them to look. Their lives weren't exactly lining up, but Joshua had remained faithful, and he had told the people all throughout this process that <clears throat> if they were faithful to God, God would continue to bless them, lead them, deliver them, all this stuff. And so at the very end of this book, Joshua is an old man by now. He knows that his time is it's over, okay? He's about to die. He knows he's, he's basically led them to do what God had asked them to do. And so Ch Joshua chapter 24, we get to the beginning of this, this chapter, and I'm going to read like several verses to you. Um, <clears throat> and as we go through here, I just want to point out a few things. But Joshua 24, listen, if you're somebody who struggles with reading, you're like me, sometimes it kind of helps to... to like do it with voices and things like that. It kind of helps me, kind of helps me stay focused. This is the only way I can read to myself. So I would say something like this, Joshua 24. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. So like imagine with me for a second, this is like 
the ending of some epic movie where all the people are gathered up and the hero in the movie's like given that last speech to get the people like all worked up and ready to go for their final battle. Like you could, there's all kinds of movies you can insert. I'm 40, so I have to think of the movie Braveheart at the end when William Wallace is like riding around on his horse and his face is painted blue and he's, you know, and he's talking about, hey, we killed these guys and we did this and we got these guys over here and if you're with me, yeah. And so all these guys are like on their horses and they're like, are you with me? Yeah, we are. And they're raising their weapons and they're all shouting. Like this is that kind of scene. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's right. So Joshua gathers all these people together. Joshua said to all the people, and here's where your voices come in, okay? This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father. Does does that entertain anybody besides me? Because that's the way, seriously, that's the way I read to myself. And it's like the only way I can stay focused. And my youngest son, Ellis, hates it. He won't let me read to him because I do that. And he's like, stop. Anyway, he's more mature than I am. He's like six, I think. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. And I gave Isaac. I gave him Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Sire to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. And then like camera like zooms over and those guys are like... Okay, because they're, they're remembering all this, okay? Like, as, as Joshua's telling this story, this is stuff they know, right? These, they, they know this story. He's talking about the story of generation after generation after generation. This should be like you sitting around at Thanksgiving with your family, and your grandparents start to tell a story about maybe their parents. And it's like you didn't know them, but you kind of know the story, that's where we're at right now, okay? Josh was telling all these stories of their ancestors, and they're all like, that's right. I love this story. Keep going. Keep going. Do the voice. So he says, then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. Talking about the the Egyptians coming out of there. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. This is good, isn't it? I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you, and you took possession of their land. Again, good to be on the side of the Israelites. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a a curse on you. You try it, okay? 
It's not that easy. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again. And I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. And they're like, yeah, that's right, Jericho. Remember Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites. And they're getting more and more excited because they know the story. They remember. They fought the battles. They were there. The Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornets ahead of you, which drove them out. Also, the two Amorite kings. Forgot about them. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. Meaning, like, this wasn't you. Okay, remember, I did this. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them. And you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. That's the end of what the Lord says. Okay, that... One little apostrophe there. That means end of God. Now Joshua says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors. Throw them away. The ones that they worship before the Euphrates River and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. Okay, remember what I said about they traveled around and they were supposed to go in. And, and when they find a, a new city, they're supposed to go in and wipe it out destroy them. Like by our standards today, this is really, really rough stuff. And especially if you read it, if, you're, if you read the Old Testament, it is gruesome. It's bloody, crazy stuff. But they go in and they're supposed to wipe it out because God wants to cleanse the land. He wants his people for himself. He wants their hearts for his heart. But because they were not faithful to the Lord, they weren't completely obedient. Now Joshua's telling them, you didn't do all that, and now you've got this collection of gods. You don't serve the one true God. You serve several gods amongst which one is our God. So he says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors. Excuse me, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And listen to this verse, verse 15 now. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates and the gods of the Amorites in which the land you are living. But as for me, and at this point, like the crowd is hushed, they're really quiet because... They're not just talking about like stories of days past now. He's making it really personal. Joshua said, you got you to gotta set all those other gods aside and choose for yourself today whom you are going to serve. And then Joshua says, but as for me and my house, me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. How many of you have seen that on the wall somewhere before? Like that's... That's an iconic quote from Scripture that most of you know. Some of you might even have a sign in your house. We love to put that up on the wall as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But this literally meant, hey, 
some of you, this is all you know. All you know is, is these other gods. You know, you know this collection of life that, that, that takes your focus and, and it splits it up amongst all these other things. That's not a one, six, seven kind of life. That might be all you know. Some of you, 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 might, you might have quite a sacrifice to make if you're going to really put this into action. But Joshua says, choose today. And the cool thing is here, he says choose, which means it's your choice. You decide. I'm not making you do this. This is your decision. Kind of like the 167, right? Nobody's going to make you do this. When you leave here, Pastor Jeremy doesn't, he doesn't go with you on your way home. Most of you, anyway. He, he follows Jackson home. Um, but you've got to do it on your own, and it's totally your choice when you walk out this door a little bit later tonight. Who are you going to serve? Choose today whom you will serve. I understand, like, <clears throat> when, when you're in, in middle school and high school, you can be at an, at an age where it, it doesn't always feel like you have a choice in everything, right? feels like there's a, a good chunk of your life that's decided for you. You didn't decide where to live. Like, that wasn't your decision. Your parents chose that for you. Most of you, you didn't get to make the call to come to this church. They decided that for you. Some of you didn't even decide to be here tonight. If we're really being honest, you didn't want to be here. They decided that for you. There's a lot of things that, that are decided for you. When you go to school, you don't choose the rules. The rules are in place, and it's your decision whether to follow them or not. A lot of your life is decided for you at this point. I totally get that. I understand that, that it can be really difficult to live in that phase of life. And if we're being a little bit more honest, there might be some things that are a little more painful for us. Like, you didn't choose the home that you're growing up in. You didn't choose for your mom and your dad to always be at each other's throats, fighting all the time and arguing. Maybe some of you didn't choose for your mom and your dad to split up. And to have to bounce back and forth between their houses every other weekend. You didn't, you didn't want a bed in two different homes. Maybe some of you, you didn't get to choose when your dad decided his addiction. Or when your mom lost her job and it like completely changed the family's dynamic. The income changed. Suddenly there's, there's not really enough money to do much of anything. Some of those things you didn't choose. And I understand that. I understand that that can be a really tough place to be. There's a good chunk of my life also, because I've, I've walked through several phases of life now, several different things in my life that I, I kind of wish were different. I didn't get to make a choice. We talked a little bit about... <clears throat> At the very beginning, I mentioned that I'm excited to be a part of this, this 167 series because I, I want to tell you some of my story, how I ended up at this phase of life. I, I grew up in a family, and I was, 
I'll be honest, I was very blessed um, because my mom and my stepdad had an incredible relationship. They loved each other very much, and their story for both of them was like a real redemption in their lives, but they walked through a lot of garbage to get to that point. And thankfully, I was pretty young. I was about six years old when they got married, and so there's a, a, you know, a, a large chunk of my life that felt pretty stable, but when, you're, when your parents split up, there's a lot of baggage that comes along with that and things that you don't choose for yourself. There's a lot of things that, that even to this day as a grown man that I still have to deal with because of what happened a long time ago. So I grew up in this family, like I said, and <clears throat> I was really fortunate to have a, a very loving stepdad. But before all that happened, my mom and my, my real dad, my biological dad, they met when they were in Bible school a long time ago. And when they finished school, they got married, they started ministry together, and they started a family. And about 15 years go by, and, you know, things were cruising along in life like they do. Um, my dad was actually really successful. He was, he was good at what he did. He was a music pastor. Um, he, by, by the world standards, he, he would be considered very successful. Um, he was on staff for a lot of years at a really large church, and he was an, an incredibly talented person. And, like, just an interesting side note that I always, <laughs> I like to tell people this part of his story. Um, does anybody know who Benny Hinn is? You, you know Benny Hinn. Okay, some of you guys might even be too too young to know, but Benny Hinn was this guy who did crusades literally around the world and would fill stadiums. On, I, I mean, these crusades were <clears throat> huge, not like Billy Graham, like Coliseum huge, but they were huge, like thousands and thousands of people, literally, like I said, around the world. My dad was his traveling pianist for a lot of years. He was just a really talented guy, and um, he would travel around with Benny Hinn, and he would... Um, also take his choir, and they would travel around. So he had all that to say. He had a lot of things going in life that would make him seem on the outside to be very successful, okay? But obviously, in the 167, for him, things were not adding up, okay? He was not committed to the Lord. And so the hour that everybody saw him on stage performing and leading worship and directing choirs and doing all that stuff, that was really not who he was when he walked away, when he walked out the door. And eventually, all of that stuff, it, it, it crumbled. He, he couldn't sustain what he was doing outside the church, and, and it all caught up with him, and so he walked away from our family. And <clears throat> for a long time, that really bothered me as a young man because I thought, here I am, when I was in high school, thinking that, that I was going to go down this same path that he was, at least as far as choosing a career. It really messed with me. You know, and, and the thing is, like, <clears throat> my mom is this really incredible person, um, Violet's grandma. She's this incredible lady. And I have so much respect for her because, again, my mom, she felt called to full-time ministry. And she was right there serving alongside my dad. But when, when he walked away from our family and walked away from the church, this was, you know, in the early 80s, she had no place anymore. 
She didn't have a place on staff at a church. She was no longer a pastor's wife. She didn't have a, a position in a church that gave her any sort of, in her mind, a, a legitimate calling any longer. And so she felt like she lost a large part of her identity. She didn't choose that. My dad chose that. He walked away. And so there were things, there were situations in her life that she didn't get to choose. She didn't get to choose when he left, and we had a pretty stable life, apparently, and he left literally everything, drained the bank account and did all that stuff. We had to leave where we lived in Alabama and drive back to St. Louis, which was my mom's home, and live in the only place she could afford, which was a, a, an apartment that was connected in downtown St. Louis. It was, it was two halves. One half was our little apartment. The other half was a bar. And we had this large back porch. We rented this place, and they would have bar fights on our back porch at night. It was my mom and my two older brothers and me. And I didn't know it at the time. I slept all night, but she would just sit there and, like, cry and pray all night. God, protect us. Watch out for us. She didn't choose any of that stuff. That was stuff that happened as a result of someone else's choice. And, it, you know, the, the, the crazy thing is, when she was a kid, my grandpa and my grandma, they were in ministry together, and they had, they had been several years in ministry and felt like God was calling them to plant a church, and they had traveled around the country preaching, and back then they would do like these tent revivals, and um, so as they would travel around, um, they came all kinds of different places in the country. They eventually felt like they were supposed to settle in St. Louis, and so they put roots down there, and they planted a church, Berea Temple, which is still there today in downtown St. Louis. And um, at the time, once they, they had planted the church, it was doing really well. It was growing like crazy, and um, they kept having to expand and, like, knock out walls on the auditorium and, and make more room. And their congregation had grown. This was in the 50s. Their congregation had grown to about 1,000 people, which back then was huge. It was just church, a lot of churches weren't that size, but God was blessing them. He was doing things that, that appeared to be just incredible during that 168 hour because during the 167, as it turns out, my 40-year-old grandpa, the dad of four kids, was having an affair with the 18-year-old girl from the choir and decided, eh, I like this better. And so what did he do? He moved out. And my mom never saw him again. She didn't choose that. Just the same way I didn't choose for my dad to run off. None of these things. I, I mean, there's so many things in our lives that we don't get to choose. And if we're not careful, if we really don't, respond in the, in the right way, those things can shape our life. Those things can eventually be the stories that will become our story. But what I really want to drive home tonight is this, that your story doesn't have to be determined by those things. The story of your life, which is governed mostly in part by the 167, is your decision. You might go through some terrible things in life. Your parents might split up. You might lose a parent. 
You might lose friends. You might go through things at some point in life that you just can't even imagine. But your response to those things, the way you turn once those opportunities are presented to you, those are the things in the 167 that will determine your future. Because I'm committed to this. I can tell you this much. Someday, hopefully a long time from now, at my funeral, they won't be telling stories about my dad or my grandpa and how they left our family and poor Nick didn't have a dad. You know, none of that stuff. My goal is that I live faithful in the 167 so that someday when they look at my life, those things are not my story, but my story is, man, that guy was faithful. He served the Lord. When he had a pretty crummy hand dealt to him, he didn't reach out and take the bitterness. He wasn't unfaithful to his wife. He didn't leave his kids. He didn't leave a church confused and broken and hurting like the people who came before him. He was faithful during the 167 Praise God. That's the story that I want to be told about me one of these days. And I know that if I can keep my eyes fixed on the Lord, someday that will be my story. And I I bring all that up because I remember the moment in my life when I made that decision the decision to follow after the Lord. I remember I was at an altar when I was a teenager. We were on a missions trip in Temple, Oklahoma, and I was sitting there praying, and I felt God speaking to me and saying, you're going to commit your life to me. You're going to serve me. You're going to serve the church in full-time vocational ministry. And I sat there and I wept and I wept and I wept and I thought, I do not want this life. I don't want the example that was shown to me. I I, I don't want the failure of those who came before me to be my story. Thankfully, I had somebody tell me the same thing that I'm telling you tonight. It doesn't have to be your story. And ironically, those are the exact words that that youth pastor of mine used in that moment. He said, their story is not your story. And here I am, 25 years later, telling you the same thing. The choice is yours. Just like Joshua had gathered all the people together and said, choose today whom you're going to serve. Listen for one more second. When we left off before fam time, we were in Joshua chapter 24. I mentioned to you leading up to that point that the Israelites had um, basically traveled around the promised land after they got there. They had to conquer all these different civilizations and basically take the, the land that the Lord had delivered to them. And in the process... They kept um, 
kind of halfway obeying the Lord, they would wipe out part of a part of a nation or or take um, and destroy the majority of their resources. But but along the way, after uh, years and years and years, they began to acquire many things that that the Lord had told them to get rid of, which included different um, different riches and different people groups and things like that. And so obviously their attention had been divided. They weren't completely faithful to the Lord. Um, Joshua had gathered everybody back together kind of in his last hurrah and saying, listen, I want you guys to be committed to what God has called us to do. Some of you are so far removed from that, you might not even remember it. You're serving other gods. You're doing other things. Listen, you got to commit to the Lord. The one, six, seven in your life has, has to be completely devoted to the one true God, our God. And in order to do that, you're going to have to, to change your life. And so Joshua says, choose today whom you're going to serve. And we talked about that. Hopefully you discussed it a little bit in your groups. Choose today whom you're going to serve. And Joshua adds, he says, look, for me and my house, me and my family, we've already made our decision. We're committed. We're moving forward. We got all kinds of baggage. We've walked through a lot of garbage. We got a lot of memories of things that have happened to us, happened around us, but we have not let those things define our lives. We're moving forward. We are going to serve the Lord. So that's where we pick it up after verse 15. And what I want us to do is kind of quickly make our way through the end of this chapter because, again, Joshua's talking to these guys, and he says, listen, you've got to choose who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the other gods, or are you going to serve our God? The people replied, of course, after he says that, and they say, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our eyes as we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies. He preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. Then Joshua warned the people, eh, you're not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve the other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you. And though he has been, although he has been so good to you. But of course, the people said again to Joshua, they're like, no, no, look, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua, of course, this whole time is thinking, "Eh, I know you. I know what you've done. I know the decisions you've made. I know how you're living right now. He's like, I don't think you really understand what I'm saying. You have to serve the Lord alone. And they're like, no, really, we'll do it, I promise. So they say, you are a witness to our own decision. Or I'm sorry, Joshua says, you are a witness to your own decision, Joshua says. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied. Yes, of course, we are. Yes, we are witnesses to what we have said. We're going to serve the Lord. All right, then, Joshua says, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. People said to Joshua, yes, uh uh-huh, amen, yeah. Remember, this is like that big rally, okay? They're all hyped up and everything. We will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. 
The whole time Josh was like, I don't think you're getting it. Okay? This is serious. This requires full commitment. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to follow the decrees and regulations of the Lord. Joshua recorded these things in the book of God's instruction. As a reminder of their agreement, he took a huge stone and rolled it beneath the terebinth tree. If I knew, if I read more, I'd probably know how to say that right. Beneath the terebinth tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. So back in that day, obviously, they, that technology wasn't, you know, they couldn't just like make a note in their phone or any of that stuff. They're like, uh, well, uh, let's get the rock, okay? The rock will be, uh, let's remember it with this rock here, okay? That's what Joshua's doing. He's just literally picking anything. It could have been a stick or whatever, a mask. I don't know. He could have chosen a lot of different things, but he's like, nah, let's get this rock. I, I think it'll be safe. It won't blow away or whatever. So Joshua grabs a rock because finally he's like, you guys aren't getting it. I don't think you're really committed to this thing. But if you say you're going to follow the Lord, I want to give you a chance to follow through on your word. Because the thing is, look, we make commitments in life and none of us are perfect. From time to time, we make mistakes. We fall away. I mean, some of us, if we look back at our own track record, we, we're, we're not even confident in our own selves to fully commit to the Lord. The 167, every hour, every moment, our full attention to be devoted completely to God. We know that we're going to make mistakes. You know that you're making mistakes. Some of you made mistakes already tonight. Okay. It's just our human nature. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to screw it up from time to time. And Josh was telling the people, look, I don't, think, I don't think you really fully understand this, but if you're willing to give it a try, if you're willing to give it a shot, I will agree with you. I will be your witness, and we're going to take this rock right here, okay? And this rock is going to be the sign between us that you've said tonight, you made your own decision. I said, me and my house, me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. That's me. That's my choice. And I told you, you should make a choice too. I didn't tell you who to choose, but I told you, you need to make a choice. So it's on you. Who are you going to serve? And that same question is relevant to us tonight. Nobody's going to make you follow Christ. Nobody's going to make you commit to the 167. But if you want to do that, if you want to try your absolute best to put yourself on a course to follow the Lord and everything that he has for your life, to do your best to be faithful to him and to honor those around you, to live a life that's worthy of the Lord that we serve, that's your choice. It's your choice alone. Nobody can make it for you. Nobody will make it for you. But tonight, I want you to make that choice. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And tonight in this room right here, I want you to think of us as this group of individuals that are gathered around. And Joshua's presenting this same charge saying, hey, look, I know we've made mistakes, but look where we're at. 
Look how far we've come. I think we can go even farther together. I think we can accomplish even more together. I think God has more in store for us. I see things in your life that you don't even see in your own. And I would love to see those things fulfilled in your life. I'd love to see God use you. I'd love to see you fully commit to developing the talents and the gifts that God's given you. I'd love to see you step out and be used by God in the way that I know you can do. But I can't make you do that. That's your choice. But here in this room tonight, if we can put ourselves in that same scenario, the choice is yours. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. If that's you tonight, if that's your heart, I want you to say, I'm all in. Is that you tonight? Are you all in? I'm all in. That means I'm not going to walk away from here and, and just decide on a whim that, no, I don't want to live like that. No, I've made my choice. I'm going to follow the Lord. My life is no longer my own. It belongs to him. Maybe for you tonight, this is the first time in a long time you've really committed to following after the Lord. And I know, I can promise you this, when you make this choice, it won't be easy from here on out. Matter of fact, things might get more difficult. But if you're all in, I want you again to hold that rock up as high as you can. And we're all going to pray together. You're going to pray your own words. I'm going to pray my own words. And we're just going to out loud, we're going to declare to the Lord today. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord.